My name is Catherine Noel. I'll be reading from my novel, Halfway House. I've lived in San Francisco since 1998. My husband, Eric Puckner, is also a writer. His story, Animals Here Below, is also available on the writer's block as a podcast. I wrote Halfway House over the space of eight years, most of those also working full-time, though for two years I held a Stegner Fellowship at Stanford and was able to cut back my work week to 20 hours and focus on my writing. The premise of Halfway House is that Angie a star high school athlete and honor student, is poised to go on to an Ivy League school, but then has a psychotic break during a swim meet and is ultimately diagnosed with bipolar disorder or manic depression. I'm going to read the opening of the novel, the prologue. Nights, the girl came and stood at the edge of the yard. From inside his unlit kitchen, Peter Vorster could just make out her dark shape, bulky in a parka, beneath the oak. A car passed, a sweep of headlights. Hoarfrost covered the grass, and for a moment the girl flared into relief, dark against the silver lawn, like the negative of a photograph. She didn't lean against the tree, but stood, serious and attentive, looking up at Peter's son's bedroom. Posture achingly straight. It was nearly midnight. Peter pulled the carton of milk from the refrigerator. He turned on the overhead light, then turned it off, self-conscious about being so visible to the girl outside. From overhead came the faint noises of his daughter moving around. She was 17 and had begun to show signs of the night restlessness that afflicted Peter. He lit the stove burner, a blue ruffle of flame. By its light, he poured milk into an enameled pan, added cinnamon and nutmeg and a tablespoon of brandy. Small scales of ice puckered the milk surface. The refrigerator thermostat hadn't been working and couldn't be turned down. His wife, Jordana, sometimes said they lived at 51%, things working just well enough, or just enough of the time, that they didn't seem worth replacing. There was the CD player whose left-hand side needed to be propped up on magazines, the shower they turned on and off with pliers, the basement that flooded every year in the spring rains. They'd gotten used to eggs that rattled in their shells, and half-frozen tomatoes, slushy and bland. He poured milk into his mug and checked the yard once again. The girl was still there. It was December. They lived in New Hampshire. Didn't she get cold? She was still there at one when he came down and made himself another cup of milk. He managed to sleep then until four, by which time she'd vanished. At six, he brewed coffee and climbed the stairs to wake the kids for their swim meet. At his knock, Angie yanked the door open. Dad, she cried, sounding delighted. Shh, I brought you some coffee. You're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. She took the mug, which sloshed dangerously, drops spattering her shirt. His daughter had always been passionate, but lately her enthusiasms were fiercer and could collapse unpredictably into irritability. It reminded Peter who was a cellist, of some of the musicians he knew. He had a sense, though, that Angie would grow out of this stage, as she'd grown out of the sullen listlessness last spring. Angie moved a pile of clothes with her foot, clearing a space on the floor so that she could put the cup down. Let me read this to you. She rushed over to the desk. He bent down, carefully, to pick up her mug from the floor's welter of clothing, splayed textbooks, and plates of hard toast. When did you get up? I've been up. Let me read my paper to you. Are you nervous about the meat? You need sleep. 
I'm going to win my races anyway. She searched through the drifts of paper covering her desk. A few sheets fell to the floor. Here it is. Listen. Environmental concerns in Alaska should be the first national priority. In solving the problem of Arctic warming, we also address unemployment and many, if not all, forms of addiction. Her face shone. Peter found a space to perch on the edge of her bed. He was tired and not really following. He listened to the rise and fall of her voice, occasionally saying, Quieter. Angie had her mother's dark, straight eyebrows. Otherwise, she looked like Peter's side of the family. High cheekbones, narrow blue eyes, blonde hair. Her shoulders were broad as a man's. This season, she'd won nearly every race she'd been in, and she'd broken the state record for girls' 100-meter butterfly. Then she broke her own record. Even this last month's insomnia didn't seem to affect her power in the water. Since her freshman year, colleges had been courting her, sending catalogs with pictures of multiracial students studying on the lawn. Now, as application deadlines approached, there were dinnertime phone calls, handwritten notes from administrators and coaches. Her jumpiness and exuberance made sense, given all the attention and pressure. What class is this for? It's extra credit. Shh. The problem of homelessness can be solved by the same means as we repair environmental damage if every family donates one car. Air conditioning rips up the ozone layer, which leads to global warming and more air conditioning. When people die... Angie, Angie. What, she said, irritated, not looking up. You need to get ready. You can work on your paper this afternoon. Or Sunday. Come have some. I'm right in the middle of this. When do you think you'll... Soon, as soon as I'm done with this. He put the mug down on the desk. After the meat, I want you to get the food out of here. There was a noise from the side of the room. Faint enough, he wasn't sure he'd heard anything until it came again. A soft scrabbling. Mice lived in the house's walls. He said, I want you to get the food out tonight, just as a nose poked from the closet. Long whiskers, and then the brown and cream face of a Siamese cat. Bean, Angie cried. She rushed across the room. The cat retreated backward into the closet. Angie fell to her knees and reached inside. Pulling out the cat, she held it under the front legs, its cream-colored body stretching down like taffy. She kissed its nose. Did you wake up from your nap? Kiss. Are you hungry? Kiss, kiss, kiss. There's a cat living in your closet? Kiss, kiss. They were about to put her to sleep. She has this mark here like a coffee bean. Don't you, bean? Yes, you do. His daughter had a cat in her closet. He knew he should be angry that his wife would be angry. Bean was in a breeding factory, and when her uterus gave out, they dumped her at the pound. What were you doing at the pound? Isn't she beautiful? Can you believe someone would do that? Angie rubbed her face on the cat's flank. Bean had the crossed eyes and look of sour displeasure that all Siamese cats seemed to have, but she was purring loudly. Oh, God, I just thought of something else. Shifting her arm so it was under the cat, she rushed over to the desk, found a pencil, and, without sitting, bent to write. The hole in the ozone layer is connected to pounds, she said. If we paid more attention to animals, then we wouldn't... Slow down. I can hardly understand you. No one understands. It's all interrelated. I need to get this down. Your mother's not going to be happy about the cat. Angie whirled around to face him. Don't tell her. Tell her it's okay with you. Would you get ready? She nodded. Will you tell Mom it's okay? 
please? We'll see. Thank you, darling, thank you. She blew kisses off the tips of her fingers. Then she turned and began scribbling on her essay. It was a relief to let himself back out into the hall, to close the door on, on his daughter's fervid activity. Squatting, Angie dunked her goggles in the pool. She ran her thumb around the foam eye sockets. Once she had the goggles on, Angie was almost unrecognizable to Peter, long blonde hair hidden under a swim cap, her arms massive as she shook them out. Most of Court's teenagers went to Court High, but the southeast corner of town, where his family lived, belonged to the school district of Applefield, the next town over. Angie's black racing suit had a red A on the chest and another, smaller A on the cap. Winter sunlight shone through the high, dirty windows of the community college gym. The room was warm. The chlorine smell, so much like bleach, and the way sound echoed against tile, always made Peter think of high school, when he used to take his cello from Queens into Manhattan and play for money in the subway there. If he let himself, he could get lost in memory for half the meat. Instead, he put his arm around Jordana's shoulders and focused on the swimmers. Clumps of them stood talking, others stretched on the cement's floor. The address system crackled, and a man read the names in high schools of girls swimming in the individual medley. When he said, Angela Vorster, there were cheers from the Applefield team. Peter searched their faces, picking out his son. Luke wore a team sweatshirt, hands in the front pocket, the hood covering his short hair. He was 16, a year and a half younger than Angie. On another team, Luke might have been a star, but Angie eclipsed the other Applefield swimmers. Angie stretched her arms behind her back. With her oversized shoulders and yellow goggles, she looked like a praying mantis. What time did you come to bed last night? Jordana asked. Was the girl still there? There's something kind of heroic about her, isn't there, he said. I was that way about you, Jordana said. Teenage girls are just like that. Angie isn't like that. She did her one-shouldered shrug. He was being too literal. Angie's Angie, she said. Jordana's dark, curly hair was frizzy in the humid pool room. She had a thin, sharp nose, and her chin, also thin and sharp, pointed up. Today, she wore a pilled black sweater she'd had at least since high school, tucked into a pair of boys' jeans Luke had outgrown. Peter never tired of looking at her face, its angularity and intelligence. To him, she was achingly beautiful, even as he was able to see how someone else might find her ordinary, even ugly. She pushed her sleeves up her forearms, which were smooth and olive, the gesture oddly arousing. He needed to tell her about the cat. Later, after the meet. Kneeling, their daughter splashed water up on her arms and legs. Then she climbed onto the starting block and began to position herself. Up and down the line, other girls were doing the same, their toes over the block's edges, legs slightly bent, hands between their feet. Someone adjusted her cap. Girls pulled backward, testing their positions, then relaxed forward again. The starter drew an air horn from the pocket of his red sport coat. The girls quieted, making quick last-minute adjustments, reaching a hand up to snap goggles into better position, curling their hands around the edges of the blocks. On your mark. The swimmers tensed. A little boy near Peter covered his ears. There was a blare, and then immediately a second. Someone had false started. 
Peter and Jordana both groaned. He hadn't realized he was holding his breath until he let it go. The starter had to sound his horn twice more for the girls who hadn't heard it during the long underwater pullout. Some of the girls took practice strokes before turning and swimming, heads above water, back to the edge. Was that Angie? he asked Jordana, though he knew it was. Shit. Among the neatly chinoed and sweatshirted parents, Jordana stood out with her height and wild dark hair and old clothes. And none of the other mothers yelled shit, though they might mutter it, when their kids messed up. Peter turned away so she wouldn't see him grinning. Sometimes his affection made her feel patronized. Will the swimmers please take position? Raggedly, the swimmers were lining up. A girl in the green-on-green suit of Whitman High School said something to Angie, who laughed, throwing her head back. The laugh echoed in the steamy room. The other girl frowned. Will the swimmers please take position? Angie was the only swimmer not in position. Still laughing, she placed her feet, then bent to hold on to the starting block's edge. When the starter said, On your marks, her body tensed with the others, though their faces were set and grim, while hers held the ghost of a smirk. The horn went off, and five of the girls shot forward, Angie a beat behind. The butterfly looked nothing like its name. It was lacerating. Angie tore down the lane, pulling even with the fifth-place swimmer, then ahead, not interrupting the power of her stroke to breathe, passing the fourth-place girl, then the third-place girl, just as they hit the first turn. It was as though she and the other swimmers were attached to a pulley. As Angie was pulled up, the others were pulled slowly back. She drew even with the girl in second place. When finally Angie raised her head to breathe, yellow goggles covering her eyes, mouth nearly square, she looked extraordinary, alien, arms rising up together from behind like gigantic wings. She slammed both hands into the wall, bringing her knees up and pushing with her legs to launch backward. The IM required the swimmer switch from butterfly to backstroke to breast to freestyle. She moved into second place in the first lap of backstroke, slowly gaining on the girl in the green suit. For two laps, they stayed even. When they turned for the second lap of breaststroke, the other girl's face was long with exhaustion. She's pulling ahead. He had to shout so that Jordana would hear him. He was laughing. Breaststroke was Angie's worst. Across the pool, the Applefield team was on their feet. Peter could see Angie's friend Jess jumping up and down and screaming. Luke cupped his hands around his mouth. Angie hit the turn, shifting into freestyle. The girl in the green suit had fallen back, overtaken by two more swimmers. Angie twisted under for the flip turn and came slashing down the last lap. Around Peter and inside him was a wave of sound. Angie, 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 Angie. Angie slapped the wall. She raised her head and looked around herself, then shouted, pumping her arms in the air, teeth bared. She used her hands to gesture to her team, a gathering motion to mean cheer, cheer. The noise dropped back. Angie had won this race against these competitors many times. She continued to roar, pounding the water. Her mouth was jagged, like a bottle broken off at the neck. The pool grew quiet save for her voice. Peter and Jordana made their way over to Applefield's area. On land, Angie was graceless. Her height embarrassed her, so she slouched. Shoulders rounded, cap still hiding her hair, 
She talked emphatically to a giggling boy, his neck sposhed red with razor burn and pimples. Angie was saying, I swam my race. If you swim someone else's race, you're fucked up the ass. Angie, Jordana said. Up the ass. Not that their team doesn't suck. I think I could have swum that race with one arm. I should next time. I should with one arm. The coaches from Yale are watching, though. Not them, themselves. They send people to watch. You see that guy? No, don't. Jesus, he saw you look. He's been at every meet. Embarrassed. What was she doing? Peter stepped between them to hug his daughter. You swam a great race. Hi. Hi. I'm just telling him something. She moved around Peter and told the kid forcefully how much the rest of the swim team sucked. How all the swim teams in New Hampshire sucked. How stupid people at Applefield High were. The boy, still giggling, tried once or twice to interrupt. I need to go. But Angie talked over him. Finally, she gave him a bear hug, and he escaped. Swim your own race, she called. You shouldn't say things like that, Jordana said. God, Angie, that was rude. Angie, glowing, seemed not to hear. No advice is going to matter for him anyway. This whole team sucks. All they're interested in is sex. Peter gave his wife a warning glance, not wanting to ruin Angie's happiness. He said, You swam a wonderful race. You noticed my breath. You saw that? I was trying not to let on too much. If everyone knew, they'd learn how. So be very, very quiet. Angie's best friend, Jess, came up behind her. She was almost as tall as Angie, with the same broad shoulders and bad posture. Around her waist, she'd wrapped a maroon-colored towel that trailed the ground behind her. Jess didn't acknowledge Peter or or Jordana, except by a small dip of the head, not quite a nod. She was shy with adults. Peter had learned that every time he saw Jess, their relationship had to start again, almost from zero. To Angie, she said, We need to see the clerk, of course. We have plenty of time. Anyways, they'll wait for me. To her parents, in a pinched, chirping voice, like a kindergarten teacher's, Jess is such a good girl. Jess bounced on her toes, looking around. They won't wait. Come on. You should go, Jordana said to Angie. Maybe you should go. What has gotten into you? Angie laughed. You'd better go register, Peter said. Angie gave him an odd, long, serious look. She cocked her head, as if trying to figure something out. Then she nodded and followed Jess. Jordana looked at Peter. Her hands were trembling slightly. She was trying to be funny, he said. I don't think she could swim like that if she was on drugs. Could she? Recently, Jordana had been returning to this worry often. Over at the clerk, of course, Angie was talking loudly and laughing. He said, She was up most of the night. The pressure's hard on her. Jordana shrugged her shoulder, turning away. I suppose we're lucky. Beth's daughter has been difficult since she was 13. A whistle blew, and boys lined up for the 100-meter freestyle. He and Jordana made their way back over to the bleachers. This was Luke's best race after the 100 breaststroke. Like most of the swimmers, he wore shorts, only stripping down to his speedo at the last moment. Luke had rusty brown hair, crew cut so short it dried almost instantly, and a heavy, jutting forehead. Pulling off his shorts and kicking them aside, he climbed to the block. 
Just as the air horn sounded and the swimmers launched themselves into the air, Angie cried out from the side of the pool. She was running across the wet concrete toward the racing lanes. Still a yard from the water, she threw herself into a high, arching dive that made an almost imperceptible splash. His wife's hand flew to her mouth. There was a moment of stillness, then race officials scuttled towards the pool edge, and Jordana pushed through the suddenly chattering crowd of parents. Peter followed behind. The starter sounded a painful blast on the air horn. Some of the swimmers lifted their heads, confused, looking around. Luke hadn't heard the horn yet. He moved doggedly forward. "'What is she playing at?' one lane judge asked another. "'Is she from Applefield?' The starting horn blared again. People clapped their hands over their ears. Angie was swimming along the bottom of the pool. Chlorine clouded the water. The blurriness made her slow strokes seem oddly luminous. Jordana turned to Peter. "'Get her out. Will you get her out?' "'What's she thinking?' he muttered. Jordana was almost in tears. "'Peter, something's really wrong.' Peter stripped off his glasses, his shoes and socks and coat. Sometimes he only understood the weight of things through Jordana. Awkwardly, he lowered himself into the water. Its warmth surprised him. He took a few strokes, slowed by his clothes, then dove under. Without his glasses, his daughter was at first a blob of dark and light. She let him catch her in his arms. He noticed, helplessly, the press of her breasts against him. They surfaced, gasping. Angie didn't make animal cries or rake her fingernails down her face like in a movie. Instead, she put her arms around his neck, beaming. Confidentially, she said, I'll tell you my secret. She leaned her forehead against his. I don't have to breathe. He glanced around. The pool edge was crowded with people. Angie's hair, dark with water, lay flat and sleek against her head. Her eyes reflected the intense blue of the pool. Droplets glinted on her shoulders. She smiled at Peter. She was strong and young and healthy, her teeth white and even, and her smile was beautiful, at once joyous and knowing. He found himself starting to smile back at her. Head up, she slipped from his grasp and took two short strokes away. Just before she dove back under the water, she said to Peter, as though he had a choice, Now watch. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit www.kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED. 